Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 23 of In the 11. And today we have an amazing guest on that you're going to want to stay tuned for. He is an integral part in, you know, me being here today in my playing career and then kind of further on down the road for my coaching career as well. And, you know, gave me an opportunity when no one else really wanted to take a chance on me. So, you know, I'm grateful to him, grateful to have him on the show today. Uh, He's a former collegiate coach, a licensed USS F guy, and the current ECNL director for FC Delco in Philly, among many other job titles that he has done before or is currently doing. So let's hit the music. It's a it's a big number to live up to. Are you prepared for the for the challenge? I hope so, man. I hope so. I mean, listen, it's uh, it's a pleasure to be on. Um, in, in fairness, I am all time indebted to you for uh, bringing you into a school and then leaving immediately after you were <laughs> able to play. So uh, I guess I owe you a couple. So you know, I guess this is this is one step in the right direction for uh, yeah. To give back. Man, it's it's funny because. I look at that now and I remember at the time being like, oh my God, he's leaving. Like what's going on? And now just like being kind of in the game for a little while. Now when stuff like that happens, you're like, oh, that sucks. But it happens so frequently, you know, like that's just the nature of what we do. People take new jobs, get new, like leave, you know, do something else. It's just, it's such a high turnover, I feel like, role, and everyone's kind of either moving up, moving down, you know, moving laterally to a new position. Like, I think it's just the industry is insane. I know, I know, it's it's, t- it's tough, and I mean, in, in fairness, it's not like it was one of those where, um, you know, we only knew each other for a small amount of time, and and then like I left, right? I mean, like we had been in the process of, I mean, I, I mean, you had been there for. I mean, I want to say it was a year already, right? Because you had come in that fall and then... Yeah, I was there for that full year, your last yeah. full year. Also, fun fact, I'm pretty sure that I have the headphones in and they're not... The sound's not coming through them, so I'm just going to take them off. Oh, did you not connect them? That's awesome. I thought I did, but apparently I didn't. So, because I, I was listening to you, I'm like, you're not coming in through the headphones. Anyway, um, so, so yeah. So, I mean, that was... Uh, and I guess we'll probably talk about a little bit of that stuff, but that was... Uh, that was fun. That was fun times. That was fun times. Yeah. So for those who are trying to connect the dots uh, as the listener, Jules and I know each other because Jules was the coach of, and by the way, I don't know if I even said his full name. This is Julian Fernandez. And I'm, you know, I'm already calling him by his nickname, Jules, like you guys know him, but you basically should know him. So he was the coach at Chestnut Hill when I first arrived to Chestnut Hill coached my first year, then went on to take a job at Temple. And then him and I worked closely for years after that. Um, and a number of, like, we basically worked everywhere together. Montgomery United, yep. a little bit of EPYSA stuff, ODP stuff, uh, Delco stuff, you name it. So that's kind of how we came to know each other and, and formed our working relationship and relationships still to this day. So Talk to me a little bit about for from your perspective, being in the college coaching realm and then eventually transitioning away from that and going into the youth game, which is kind of where you're at now, where your bread and butter is. Yeah, I mean, I think 
I think it's tough because I think that the pathway for a lot of, of people um, ends in college, right? So it's like you're in college. By the time you start thinking about, okay, what am I going to do after I'm done school? You know, you're in college, you're working with coaches, you're working with players mm-hmm. um, that kind of had the same like mindset as you and you're going, all right, well, what do I, what do I do next? And if you want to coach, it's like, oh, well, I'll just be, you know, I'll just coach here. You know, like yeah. I'll be a volunteer assistant or, you know, I'll, I'll go somewhere else and be their GA, right? Which I should, looking back, I should have done, I should have been a GA somewhere because it would have saved me a couple of dollars. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, like I said, I think people get into the college because it's, it's, it's highly accessible. Um, but I think that there are some people that are, I think there's some people that are built for college. And I think there's some people that are built for youth. Um, I know in my experience, like <laughs> I knew I wanted to be a college coach or a soccer coach since I was in like high school, yeah. like eighth, like eighth grade, even, you know, like, and, and just, and playing was just like the vehicle that got me to where like I needed to be. It's like, yeah, yeah fine. Like, cool. I'll play. But like, I'm only playing so that I can like experience stuff and then like be able to coach. Right. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, college is great. I enjoyed it. Um, but I think right now, I mean, youth level is, I mean, I love it. You know, I, I think, I think it, I think you have such a high impact on players at, you know, from, from the beginning. And I think that's so, so impactful, um, especially for, you know, for those of us that are doing it for the, I don't want to say the right reason, but right. But like, yeah, for, for, for the reasons of, you know, expanding the game in our country and and pushing the level of the game in our country. Right. Like, I think that's why, that's why you do what you do, you know? So, but I'm happy that you bring that up though, for the right reason. Cause I think that was something that I started to get a taste for and, and see firsthand as I, you know, started college coaching. Cause as you said, it's the collegiate coaching, depending on where you go, where you play and who, you know, it, it is fairly easily accessible. And sometimes I worry that that's a blessing and a curse because it allows people to, you know, without the same mindset of you as this is what I've wanted to do. This is what I always want to do. And I want to have an impact on the game. Sometimes I felt like I was meeting guys who were like, ah, college coaching, that'd be kind of cool. You know, I get to hang around the guys and I'm on the field every day and it's still soccer and I'm getting paid to do it. And yes, that's an added benefit of doing coach of doing what you do, doing coaching, but it's not really why you should be in the profession. So do you feel like that accessibility for collegiate coaching positions is that blessing and a curse or is it just a positive because it allows so many people to kind of get their feet wet and get started? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a positive, right? I think, I think it's a good way to get into and, and listen. And again, I think it's, it's driven by the, the higher ups at the place that you're at, right? Like, so if, you know, if you're at a certain school, and the coach there is really driven on, um, you know, you, you come from, you know, people come or what's it called? They used to talk about uh, like Bruce and Bob Bradley and like, yeah, you know, the, the, the coaches that played for those guys, right? Like, so that, like those guys were players and then they ended up coaching. Right. So like, um, I think it's, I think it's part of the environment that you get thrown into. Um, but I think, listen, I think it's good. Cause I think it's accessible. I think it's, I think it's, it's a good way to see whether you really want to do this or not. And, and just like you and I know, right? Like if, if you're going to do something, it doesn't come super easily, right? Like you're not going to be a division one national champion coach because, you know, 
after, you know, after school, you're like, yeah, I'll coach for a little bit, right? Like yeah. it's just the, it's just the first step in going, all right, do I really, you know, do I really want to do this? Do I really enjoy this? And then you find out pretty quickly that, all right, if I want to, if I want to do this at, at the highest level that I can and, and to the best of my ability, like there are a lot of, of hoops and, and mountains that I'm, that I'm going to have to climb in order to do it, you know, in an impactful way, you know, and, and in a way that's going to, that's going to, that I'm going to be successful and that the people around me are going to be successful more importantly. So, yeah. Cause that's what I liked about as well. Coaching and, and being around coaching was I felt as if, you know, and obviously life's not always perfect. There's going to be guys in jobs that probably don't deserve to have that job, but I felt as if even the guys who were in positions, it was, it always kind of came down to, like if you couldn't really coach and if you didn't have it, like you would kind of get found out. And the guys who really had it, had a passion for it and would put the time in and put the work into becoming a better coach and actually had talent for it. You would start to see those guys, you know, get moved up and, and find new positions and, and be in those roles that you'd want them to be in. Do you feel like that's kind of the case? Do you feel like that's maybe a testament to your career a little bit? Like you were somebody who is good at this and, not to mention also put the work in and put the hours in to kind of get to the position that you're in now. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that you find out pretty early on that if you're going to do this, it's not, it's not cut and dry. Um, Usually if you're going to be a collegiate coach, very rarely do you, do you start and end at the same place, right? Like, so there's travel. and, And I mean, listen, this, this is super relevant to your experience right now. Right. I mean, like, you want to do something, you travel, right? Like you got to, you got to go away. You got to get out of your comfort zone. Like, yep. you know, I, I know guys that there was a guy at Temple. So the the guy that was the second assistant there um, before that he was at Florida, then he came to Temple and now he's in Georgia, right? Like you're, you're, you're all over the place. Um, I think, I think that, you know, I think that you're spot on too with it that like, guys get, they get found out pretty, you know, pretty, pretty easily. And, and it comes with like, are you willing to make the sacrifices that are, that are like integral in, in you getting to where, to where you need to go? Cause like some people are like, you know, I mean, there's been plenty of, yeah, I'll do this for a couple of years and then, you know, I'll get, you know, I'll get a, a regular job. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, if you're looking at Cheston Hill specifically and listen, uh, I'm a, I'm a Griffin for life, dude. You know what I mean? Like whether, you know, whether we like it or not, no, I'm just yeah. kidding. But like, you know, I, I love Chestnut Hill. I love the opportunity that they afforded me. Um, I mean, in fairness, like I was before that I was, I was a high, I was a high school coach. And then I was like, I was a club coach. And then before that, I guess I was, you know, the assistant coach there for like one year. Um, and they gave me the opportunity to be a, a head coach. Um, and with that, like I knew, obviously just being a head coach on its own at a, at a, any collegiate program has its, um, its battles. Um, but I think too, like there was, there was a real gut check moment where you're sitting there and you're going, all right, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a part-time head coach, very part-time, um, you know, and it's one of those where it's like, you can either ride this out and do it for fun, or you can try to try to push yourself and, and create an environment and, and create a culture and create a program that's going to be, you know, successful. I don't know if I ever got to those parts, um, in fairness, cause I wasn't, you know, I don't think I was there long enough to really, to really measure those. Um, but I think for me as an individual, you know, developmentally and professionally, like I learned, I learned a lot about myself. 
I learned a lot about what it takes. I learned a lot about uh, players, relationships, rapport. I mean, there's, I mean, there's tons that that go into it that you don't, you don't know that you are going to get those, um, those like educational bits because you go into it and you go, yeah, cool. I'm just going to be a college coach. Yeah. Like, oh, this will be fun, especially at the school that I went to. Like, yeah, this will be great, right? And then, like, two years down the road, you're going, wow. Like, I don't think I would be here if I didn't do if I didn't do that. I don't think I'd be su- successful in this specific situation if I didn't experience that before, right? So there's there's so much more that goes into it. And I think, like you said, if in anything that you do, you get out of it what you put into it, um, and you're kind of at the the mercy of, of whatever, of whatever you're doing. Right. And it, you know, thankfully I was, I was able to, um, to learn, to learn a ton and make great relationships and, and have great experiences. So it was, you know, it was a, it was a blast for sure. But, um, yeah, yeah, definitely a blast. Definitely a learning experience for sure. Yeah. For sure. Well, you, you hit the nail on the head, you know, it, it comes down to what you want to put into it is what you're going to get out of that situation. Like, because, Another thing that I learned in, in being in around college soccer for a while now is, which, you know, it, like every program is not created equal. There's there's not qu- equality or equity or whatever the term is amongst collegiate coaches, you know, okay. and or collegiate programs. Like, as you just said, Chestnut Hill College, a division two school has a head coach for the men's soccer team that still is to this day, a part-time position. It has full-time responsibility. It has a, you know, a full-time job title, but a part-time salary. And that's just something that that coach and that program has always had to deal with. And, you know, even in that very same conference, you have schools that have full-time coaches that, you know, have positions in the athletic department and, and are able to come in every day to the office and just focus on soccer. So that's something that you then have to balance, you know, as you come into that role for someone like you, it's like, I'm going to get out of this, what I put into it, this is going to come down to sweat equity from me. You know, I'm still going to have to figure out a way to put food on my table in, in the, uh, you know, the off hours when I'm not here, but I'm going to have to figure it out. A lot of Wawa, a lot of Wawa. Oh yeah. In the car. In the car. Mostly. Um, oh my god yeah god. i, I no, that, spot, spot on spot on that that just reminds me of like i used to joke with zach about this like and i'm sure you can attest this as well i became the master of eating slash getting changed in my car oh, like um, unbelievable the things we they should be ticketed offenses for like the things that you had to do <laughs> in the car, like as you're going from point a to point b i mean there were times where I want to, it was the fall, it was the fall season that you first came in. I think I was doing, and, and, and like you're talking about, like getting food on the table, like grinding, like I was doing, we were training at like two o'clock on the terrible grass field, the PW mm-hmm. right behind the turf that we couldn't use because the high school field hockey team was using it. Yep. So obviously way more important than the men's soccer program at the local college. Um, and then I was going to, colonial to do like three teams like rec stuff and then uh and then and then i was gonna uh cut which used to be called continental which is now delco um and doing like and doing a session there i mean so like i was literally out of the house from you know 11 to like 10 yeah 
And that's just what, and that's just what you had, that's what you had to do. Right. But the mindset is like, I mean, I was talking about this the other day, like the mindset is like, all right, listen, I'm going to do this now so that hopefully in five, 10, 15 years, whatever it is, like, I don't, I don't have to do this anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, that has to be the mindset. I think for a lot of people, especially early on, like nothing, whether it be from a playing perspective or a coaching perspective, nothing's going to be handed to you. You just have to grind for it. And it's like you said, you're doing it with the hopes of, okay, hopefully I'm not going to be 10, 15 years down the road, still grinding my face off every day. Because then if you're in that position and then it's like, okay, I don't think I've, I think I've done something wrong here. Like, yeah, yeah. We shouldn't, we shouldn't <laughs> still be having this schedule, but I, you know, I completely agree. It makes me think of, I told this story on the podcast for when I was at Widener, I, and this isn't like not a, you know, a shot at Brent or whatever, but I left Zach at Chestnut Hill. He was like, yeah, I think it's going to be more money and stuff at Widener. You know, I think it's a good opportunity for you. And I was like, all right, awesome. I show up. I have the, I have the talk with Brent. And he's like, here's the number. I'm like, oh, okay. I got to go get a job, huh? Yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Pay, I, paid coaching positions, like paid is a very loose term when it yeah. comes to, to coaching. Sometimes, positions. sometimes just for all those of you listening out there, sometimes paid means like, we're going to give you a lot of gear. So you'll always be warm. <laughs> Like that's part of your salary. Um, year. But like Wednesdays, I remember I used to wake up, they would train at six. So I was living in, in Chestnut Hill still. Mm. So I'd have to get out to, for in Chester for six. So that was leaving at like five o'clock in the morning. Then drive to, this is when I worked at the insurance company in Balakinwood. So I would drive across in traffic oh, terrible every traffic. Wednesday, like, and it was slow enough while I'm driving that I can actually get changed in the car into my, like, <laughs> into my work stuff would work, line up your tie, <laughs> work nine to five, then drive to Conshohocken, get changed in the car again, and then coach my Delco team. And I always feel bad. Some of those Delco sessions, I would be like, you know, I'm trying to come and bring the energy, but it's now I'm running on like. 12, 13 hours of just going. And I'm oh, like, absolute, yeah, absolute fumes. absolute fumes. Yeah, I know. I know. And it's tough. And especially for those old, for those, uh, for those younger age groups. Cause what, what did you, you had, uh, what did you have 14s and yeah, I had, yeah. 14 or 15s. Yeah. I mean, any, and even then, like, like, even then, like you need to like push a little bit to, to get them going. Um, especially at night. Cause like same thing for them, right? Like they're in school all day and they're coming to training and it's like, Sometimes they're just, they're just off, but, but yeah, man, I don't, uh, I mean, listen, I mean, dude, when I, when I first started for, uh, for continental, well, I guess technically spirit, um, actually Alex Culp just texted me. So big shout out to Alex Culp who gave me my first job. I was his, uh, assistant coach at, at our spirit United team. I think it was, it was U 14s. God, I don't even want to know what birth. I don't even remember what birth year they were. I think they were like 98s. No, wow. then I know. I think it was past that. Any, but, yeah, any '90s age group is long gone. No. Oh my gosh, I know. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, '19s are O2s now, which is wild. But anyway, but um, yeah, like so, I was living in Maniunk. It was right after school. Um, and I would drive to Downingtown three days a week. Um, so like I would have to leave the house at like two, three o'clock, and drive all the way to Downingtown, which would take me and you know. An hour if I left at the right time, two mm-hmm. hours if I left five minutes. The wrong time, yeah. Um, and then at the same time, I was like, I was working, I was doing valet at like Einstein in like North Philly, 
from like six to like one or whatever the hours were there. Um, but again, like all with the mindset of like, let me just do this now. Cause hopefully something else, something else will come through. And then, you know, I mean, listen, not that I'm in, I mean, I'm, I don't think I'm in my landing spot right now. I think that there's, there's room to grow, but yeah, I'm happy where I'm at. You know, I'm happy where I'm at right now. And I think it's, it's been, it's been worth it for sure. It's definitely been worth it. Yeah. I mean, you're in a position where you get to do the job that you want to do full time. Like I try to talk about it a lot on this podcast. And I think sometimes it gets misconstrued by young players or young aspiring coaches. And they think it just, it just comes down to how hard you work at coaching and how hard you work at your, you know, training and working out and things like that. And while that's so important, you know, it's so important for you to get your coaching reps in, like, it doesn't matter if you don't also have enough income to still be able to support yourself. And the, the, the honest factor is like in the beginning, in both of those endeavors, playing coaching, you're probably not going to be able to support yourself just off of that craft right away. So like, it's going to come down to, are you going to be willing to go and take that job that you really don't want to do 40 hours a week to still be able to support the dream that you want to do? Like, I think that's, you know, a small part of the reason why I started this podcast, even from the start was I just wanted to give a more holistic picture of, you know, like everything that's going on. It's not just, I want to be a college coach. So like, I'm just going to go coach college. There's a lot that goes into that whole pie to like really make that happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, for sure. And I, and I think that goes back to what we were talking about before, right? Like it's, if, if the goal that you have in mind is to do it, like that's, that's how you pick out the guys that aren't, you know, fully invested to it because there's going to come a time where you're going to have to make decisions where not that you can't go back on. Right. But like, you're, you're going to be setting yourself back a couple of years and it's not like regular, um, you know, you go to college, you get your degree, you know, you start working at an accounting firm and you're making, you know, whatever yeah. it is like 40, 50 G's a year. And like, and you're set, right. Like you go somewhere, you're like, Hey, I want to coach. You start off as a volunteer, you know, then you, you get upgraded to the camp guy and you make whatever, you know, money you get off how many kids you bring in and, um, you know, and then hopefully in a couple of years, you're full time and you're making, you know, 20,000 a year as the second assistant. Right. But like in, in all that time, like you got, I think you got to just stay on course and say like, I want to do this. I'm going to do this, you know? And, and at the end of the day, I know we're talking about money and time a lot, but like, I mean, if you're, if you're a coach, you, you know, and like I said before, doing it for the right reasons, like you're doing it cause you want to impact the lives of, yeah. you know? Of, of players and whether that be young or old players, but like, you know, impact, like, listen, like, I, I mean, I don't even think I coached you for at, at all. No, well, like, coached me in a competitive, yeah, not in a competitive game, but like training and stuff like that. Right. But like, just, just within those, within, you know, within those moments and that, like that time, like, I mean, we have, you know, we have that connection, we have that rapport, we, you know, like we still, you know, we still talk and, and obviously I'm, I'm thankful to be on here. And it, it says a lot about like what it says a lot about the, the relationships that you can build doing what we, you know, doing what we do, right. Like yeah, they're, yeah. they're, they're long lasting. They're not, uh, you know, they're not fake, you know? So, which is, which is good, which is a testament to what we're doing. And I think that's, I think that's a big piece of it that people forget sometimes. So. Yeah. 100%. And and I hope, I hope for the listeners, I, I you know, I'm not trying to, to rag on this profession again. I just, I want to give an honest opinion on everything and, and you're 100% right. Like the reason that we do all the things that we do is because one, I think also it, it creates that much more of a reward for you when you do kind of get to those positions 
that you want to be at, right? Like if your goal is to be the head coach of a, of a college team and everything that you went through to get there makes it that much more valuable to you versus like you said, graduating college and you go on a couple of interviews and now you work for an accounting firm. You know, that's just a different, a different kind of level of difficulty that allowed you to get to that position. But 100%, like you said, the, in that journey, you get to do so much impacting of, of young people, young people's lives and, and also their relationship with this game. Like you said, I played for you now, God, five, six years ago. No, oh, dude, don't do that to me. Come I know. On. I'm sorry. It hurt. It didn't feel good coming <laughs> off my tongue either. But and and like you said, now we're sitting here on this podcast. Like that's some that means something. That's there's a lot of value in that. And that's what I think, like you said, you get something very unique in this profession that affords you the opportunity to foster relationships like this. For sure. No, no, for sure. So you, you spoke about it a little bit, but I want to hear a little bit more. You know, right now you're the ECNL director for FC Delco. And for anyone listening who maybe wants a little context on that, essentially, it's uh, one of the more competitive. It's a national league in, in the United States, but it has a kind of regional component in, in where actually teams compete with other high level teams in their region. It's kind of like one step below, I would say, of our academy system that we have right now. And so you're the director of FC Delco, which is a club in the Philadelphia kind of surrounding area. Where do you see your future with your role, with your club and kind of just growing the game and growing the teams that, that you oversee? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, listen, I, I love Delco. Um, you know, I, I love the leadership there and, and this isn't like a plug to say like, you know, cause they're going to find out like I was on this, right? Like, hmm. you know, Jeff, Jeff Zahn, who's our, who's our technical director and our Academy director. Um, you know, it's just great. I think when you get, uh, and like Rob Elliott, who's our GM, like an, another great guy used to work for us soccer. Like, I think when you get, when you, when you're afforded opportunities that you get to work with like-minded people, I think really good things happen. Right. Um, so things have been, I mean, things have been great. Like we're, we're in good spots. I, I think our, you know, our Academy teams are doing well. Our ECNL teams are, are you know, are getting there. Um, you know, Zach Tassone is, is me on the girl side over there. So again, like another like-minded individual who's, uh, who's doing really well um, over there. So um, no, listen, I, I think I'm excited to be part of something. And, and we've alluded to this before. Like I'm excited to be part of something where I feel like I'm going to be here for, for quite a while, you know, like yeah, you grind and you grind and you grind, and then you 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 hope that you're afforded an opportunity like this, and like finally, like I'm in an yeah. opportunity where I'm like, I can be here, right? I can be here. I see the long term vision. I see the long term goals, and I'm and I'm fully on board. Um, yeah, like it's not complacency, but it's a little bit of comfort. Like you can no take listen, a breath. yeah, listen. I would say complacency on 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 the resumes, right? But like, yeah. <laughs> But like, I mean, you know, if you're trying to build something like we're trying to build at, at Delco and get it back to what it, you know, I don't, I think back to what it used to be isn't, isn't fair because I think that we've created something or something's been created that we've been a part of that could be, that could be massive. Like from, you know, yeah, something new, it's new not software. like a replication. It's something new. Yeah. Cause I mean, listen, like Delco in the past was, was awesome. Right. I mean, great teams, great players. Like we, you know, we know guys that used to play there and um and you know from a from a name recognition standpoint like people know delco you know what i mean like i would go yeah. to coaching courses and be like oh, i coach a continental and they'd be like isn't that old delco yeah or like new delco i'd be like 
yeah like i don't know i don't know how to answer that question right but like so now it's just like yeah delco and people are like okay delco um but yeah listen i mean it's it's great i think the the pathway that we have the uh you know the, the levels that we have um you know and you talked about it like we've got teams in mls next which is a a uh an evolution, I guess, of what the, what the development Academy used to be. That was, that used to be run by us soccer. And obviously with things going on, like they had to, mm-hmm. you know, stop that. And, and, you know, MLS took over and, uh, and it's been great. I think it's, um, it's something that it, it affords coaches and, and clubs that are within it to be, to be part of it. Um, and, and the decision-making process, which is awesome. Um, and then, you know, I, I know, I know that some people see like, you know, see ECNL as like the next, the next level, but in fairness, like, MLS next and like the Academy has always been like, you know, is like here, like it's, it's one of those where like the players and the caliber of players and um, you know, what goes on in there is like, is I wouldn't say like unattainable, but like it's, it's next level. Right. I mean, we're talking about if you look at, for instance, like my, my 07 group for ECNL boys, right. Is it, Mm -hmm. is a good group in our, in our region. Um, I would say that the best players on my ECNL group would probably be guys that would be, you know, they'd be squad guys to start, right? Just because I think the environment from MLS next to, to ECNL is, is is pretty, you know, is not super different, but, um, you know, those players are at MLS next because that's where they're at, right? Like ECNL is is a great vehicle that we have and, and something that we're, we're super happy to be a part of because it is um, – you know, for, for many areas, it's the highest level of soccer that that's in the country. Um, yeah. and it's, and it's good because it's not, it's, it's very club driven, right? Like there's, um, there's like national league that's run by, uh, like USU soccer, which is, which is a good league, but it's very like, you know, you can have one team, like, it's just like, Oh, your one team plays in like in national league. Yeah. Where like for ECNL, it's like, I, you know, we have 13 your, your clubs in. Yeah. And we're, and we're in and they have to be competitive. And if not, like ECNL comes to us and is like, you're not doing, you know, you're not doing your job. Right. So it's like, so, you know, that's, that's a huge part of it. I think it, it affords me an opportunity to uh, obviously to work closely with Jeff Zahn and, and the Academy still, because, you know, I, I loved being a part of it before when I was doing the 14s and the 19s um, for the, for the Academy. And um, obviously if we're doing our jobs right, we're creating a really good pathway for players to kind of come into the club compete at a high level for ECNL. And then, you know, we always tell, I always tell guys as they're coming in, like this is for guys that want to compete to play in the Academy, right. In MLS next. Like if you're not, if you're not with that, like that's fine. And maybe it's not for everybody, but like at least in the back of your head, you're pushing yourself day in and day out because you want to, you know, you want to move over to field one and play with those guys. Um, So that's, I mean, that's a massive part of it. And then, you know, it gives me an opportunity to, you know, I'm going to say a, a bad word in U S soccer right now, but, or USU soccer, but like we recruit a little bit. Um, so I know it's like, Oh my God, don't say that. But like, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm of, I'm of the belief very much so that, you know, clubs are great. Coaching is great. Right. But players very much grow and develop from the environment that's created around them. Right. Yes. And obviously coaches have a piece of that, you know, like we talked about, like, you can drive the session and, and all that, but like players are going to rise to the top if they're pushed. And I think players get pushed by the players that are around them. Right. So if you get the the best players in one, in one group, in one area to compete three, four times a week, I mean, you're going to see 
you're going to see results. You're going to see players grow. You're going to see players, um, you know, come out of that, you know, competitive environment. Um, and it's, and it's, and it's good to watch. I mean, that's what, that's what we're trying to create over at, at Delco, right? It's just competitive environments where guys, you know, thrive and have a passion for just competing, right? Like just competing day in and day out. Um, so now listen, I think there's, there's a lot of things that kind of, you know, I, I think that I still get to experience that I did it at college, right? Like recruiting aspect and yep. training aspects and stuff like that. Um, but it's, uh, you know, I, I think that for me, college was always something where it was, let's get the guys in, right? So like, the, let's get the guys in and that's the group that you're going to have. And that's what's, you know, that's kind of your, your potential. Obviously you get to grow that a little bit, but with the way that, you know, collegiate seasons are and stuff like, you know, you're playing two games a week. So it's like, you don't want to train too, too much because guys got to play, you know, 90 minutes and, and whatnot. And it's, uh, you know, spring seasons are a joke mostly, you know, I think, you, you know, you don't get, you don't get a ton out of it, but, you know, with, with the youth level, I mean, you know, MLS next trains four times a week. Um, ECNL trains three nights a week, like, and then we play, you know, a couple of games on the weekend. So you have that and we go from August, take a break between December and January, and then we're back in through June. So it's like, you get so much time with these guys um, and you, and you really get to see, you know, if you're, if you're creating a, a good, strong environment, you really get to see them, them flourish for sure. Yeah. I think it's been exciting because you see those dividends starting to pay off with the level of talent that like this country is producing and the level of talent that just, and I mean, I'm sure you can attest to this way more than me because you're in and around it every day. Like, just the players that you see now and that you're, you know, training with every day and, and coaching, I think it's a different caliber across the board than probably, you know, 10, 15, even 20, 20 years ago, because we've really changed the mindset that we have. Like, you know, even when I was growing up, I was probably playing at one of the higher levels and that was three days a week. And then sometimes games on the weekend or sometimes tournaments on the weekend, but now it's, we've adapted that kind of professional model and brought it a little bit down into the youth levels of it is four days a week and you know, you're going to play consistent matches and it's going to be for that full season, as you said, from, from August to June, how do you think, I mean, I know you just touched on it, but how do you think that has just like completely revolutionized the way, the way that we are developing players and the way in like, what are the players really getting out of that? Yeah. I, th I think that, you saw it before, like there, I mean, listen, there's always, there's always been production of, of good players here, like whether it's been like on a massive scale or, or what, but like, I think that in, in the past, um, you know, players have really, I think it's been at a lesser level because players really, the players that rise to the top do it on their own and their mindset, you know, from a young age um, is, you know, I want to do, you know, I want to do this. I want to compete. I like competing. Like I like playing a sport. I want to be the best at it. Like I want to score goals. Right. Um, you know, I want to win games. I think that what we're doing now is very, very much like we're trying to, like I talked about, like we're trying to create an environment that it may be, you know, maybe we can push a couple more kids to, to gain that, that passion as well. Right. So maybe it's not just the best player on your team. It's, you know, now you have three or four guys on that team that are going like, I really enjoyed competing. Um, and I think that, you know, I know people like to talk about, you know, they like to talk about like the old, like the old times before and, you know, how things used to be run and, and like how things are now. And, 
And in fairness, I think a lot of things that we did in the past, like weren't, weren't that bad. Right. Like I think Mm -hmm. people, people look at like, you know, Oh, um, you know, that team only won because they have a fast kid. Well, no, like that team won because you guys don't know how to defend against a fast kid. You're just complaining against, you know, about, about a fast kid. Right. So it's like, I think a lot of the things that we used to do as far as, um, as pushing kids and, and, and letting kids, you know, thrive within competition were, were really good. And I think we're taking a step back and going, listen, that, w- that all wasn't bad, right? Like before, you know, I want to say like before Klinsman came in and was like, this is the way that we're going to do soccer, right? Like mm-hmm. the things that were done before, like they weren't like, they weren't bad. You know what I mean? Um, I think that we, we kind of got into a, a lull a little bit of like, it's it's all inclusive right and and again like i hate you know i hate to say this but like soccer is not for everybody right like if if we're you know again for the right reasons right like i i want to be a part of of something and i i coach you soccer because i want to create a you know create something in this country where like we compete at a world cup level and i think as you know you can call i don't want to say ridiculous right but like it comes from the youth levels it comes from you know clubs like Delco where we have the ability to drive that on a, on a grander scale with the players that we work with. Like it's almost, it's almost like accountability on us to like, you know, you've been given this, this club and and these um, resources, right. And these players, like you need, you need to do right by them and like, and, and, and push them along. And, and, you know, whether that means like us soccer training camps or, you know, um, involvement with, you know, the youth national teams, like that's, I think that's realistic. I think that's realistic for clubs that are kind of on the same level as us. Like if we're doing our jobs correctly, like we've got guys competing at a, at a high level from an early age. Um, so, you know, I know I got off, I know I got on my soapbox a little bit, but like, no, listen, I, I, the player, listen, the players that we have now are, are great. I mean, like, you know, technical ability are great, but I think, you know, you look at players and you go, you know, you'll be at tryouts, right? And you'll see a kid and like, he's over there, he's juggling, he's taking a bunch of touches, right? And you're like, oh, you circle that kid like immediately and you're like, oh, that kid. (laughs) And then you get to playing like 7v7 or 11v11 and you're like, oh my God, that guy's so soft. He doesn't do anything. He plays backwards all the time. Like he doesn't do like, you know, and I think that, I think that that's a big piece of it is like, you get, you get like Corver kids, right? Like they're Mm -hmm. good in small spaces, but like when it times for the game, they're so unimpactful, right? It's like, yeah, that's like we, you know, I think that's part of the environment that you have to drive is like, and I think we're seeing a lot more kids like that. Like a lot more kids are like impactful, right? And that, and maybe they might not be the most technical guys. Maybe they can't juggle a hundred times by the time they're fourteen, but like, you know, they play dangerous balls into the box. They, you know, they track down players. They they win in on tackles. You know, they're aggressive in the air. Like, and I, and I think on a grander scale, like we're starting to see more and more players like that. So it's, I mean, it's it's super exciting. It's super exciting to be honest. 100%. Yeah. I think I, I want to, I understand what you're saying. I want to push back on one thing a little bit. Like, I think I understand what you're saying in this, in the position where you're in that it, the level that you're at and, and what you're trying to, you know, environment you're trying to foster the players that you're trying to work with and produce and create there, there comes a certain cutoff where that is not for everyone. But I think what makes the game that we have like so special is that it really is. It it allows everyone to be a part of it. You know, that's why everyone in the world, this is the most popular game because, you know, you go to places like Germany and you have 13 different levels of amateur football and even the guys and, you know, even young kids who don't really want to do this in the same level that you're kind of speaking to, 
there's still a place for you in this game. And I, and I know that's not like what you were trying to say that there's only certain levels for where this game should really, you know, allow people to enter. But I just think I, I get what you're saying that I think what's changing now for us is that we want to be seen in the same, you know, we want to be in the same sentence as those big European countries. You know, we don't want to be anymore the the country from a soccer perspective that gets looked down at or is seen as less than, you know, we want to compete. We want to have, and I, you know, for, for people like us specifically, it may not ever be plausible, but I want to, I want us to be in a position where soccer for us is, is competitive with basketball. It's competitive with American football. Kids want to come and play soccer because they see what we can do, like, and what this game can afford them and not just say, well, uh, like I could go play basketball and I could become, you know, I could become the next LeBron. Like you want to have kids look up to someone in this country that can do something to the same athletic level as all those kind of other, other sports that we have. Yeah, no. And yeah. And, and listen, I, and I, I appreciate the pushback. Cause like, it's, it's not that soccer is not for everyone, right? Like any sport is for anybody. Like I can go outside and like, sh- you know, shoot a basketball. I'm terrible at it. Right. But like, I can still try. Right. Yeah. But like, I, th- I think, I think what I'm saying is like, at a, at a high level. And I think that there's misconceptions at the youth level where like you look and you're like, Oh, well, you know, and I think some people go like, well, Hey, my kid's pretty athletic. Like, you know, he can't, you know, maybe he's not big enough to play football or he's not big enough to play basketball, but like he'll go play soccer. Right. But it's like at the highest level, you know, I, I think, I think that, uh, you know, it's not at the highest level. It's not for everybody, but that's like, but that's with anything else. Like, yeah. You know, accounting's not for everybody. Like I can't do like, I, I'm terrible at math. the amount of times that i have to count guys in training sessions so i know like what to make it like 77 or whatever like guys make fun of me because they'll move around and they know like i can't like i can't count them stop moving yeah i'm like guys stop moving and they like laugh at me and they're like coach how many guys we got i'm like i don't i don't know man i don't know like how many how many guys do we got um but no listen i i i I get what i get what you're saying and and i guess you know i just using the words of soccer isn't for everybody is like not i guess the best way to put it but like if we're again, if we're, if we're pushing this thing in the right direction and we're trying to be competitive on a, on a global scale, right? Like, yeah, it, you know, there's going to be times where it's not, you know, at the highest level, it's not going to be for everybody. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's where we have to kind of, um, you know, I think that in years past, maybe on, you know, from a, from a national scale, like I think soccer has been looked at like maybe rec ish a little bit. Right. And I think it's, it's okay to talk about a, a sport where, you know, it's, um, you know, it, it's okay to talk about competing. It's okay to talk about the byproduct of results. Like it's okay to talk about, you know, youth sports in that manner. If, you know, at, at certain levels, right. Yeah. So that's, you know, yeah, absolutely. And I really, I really want to get your opinion on this. Cause I'm interested to see what you think. I feel as if, and especially even this year, it's been magnified even more. Cause just as we close the 2021 transfer window, you saw, like the number of guys from the States that are going over into Europe is probably at an all time high. You know, I don't think we've ever had this quantity and quality of guys, you know, applying their trade in some of the biggest leagues in the world. And I, I, the way from my perspective, I see it is, is almost sort of like a funnel in the United States right now, where you have maybe a player that starts at FC Delco 
And, but there's kind of some steps for them to, to move up in terms of development. Like they do very well at the, at the Delco level. And then there's sort of that next in-between step where maybe they get picked up by the Union Academy. We still have that kind of like in-between step where usually a player will start, which is, you know, typical of, of most other places in Europe as well. You know, if you play in Germany, you play for your local club, then maybe you get picked up by Schalke and, and so on and so forth. But so we, but I think what differs in our development model right now is that next highest level isn't, you know, to play for the Schalke first team. It isn't to play for the union first team. It's to then make the move across to Europe, right? So we kind of have two steps, whereas other other countries maybe have one. Like it's the local club. It's then probably the closer MLS level or highest level in their area in the States. And then that final, you know, that final boss, that big jump is going across to Europe. And I've heard a lot of different opinions on this, like about whether that's that's the best in terms of what it's going to do for the development of our leagues and the development of our players, uh, you know, domestically, obviously there's still the flip side of it, of just going and playing in Europe and being around the best players and best coaching is, is going to do benefits for the players that we're able to send there. Like what is your, I guess, and this might end be a question. I'm just like <laughs> spewing no, ideas like, here at some no. point. I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep it as focused as I can, but what is your view on kind of that, model right now. Let's take a break to talk about support for the In the 11 podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below the waist grooming. Their products are precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code 11 at manscaped.com. Now, if my math is correct, that's about 8 million balls. Now, listen, here's the deal, gentlemen. The Performance Package 4.0 has arrived, and it is a game changer. Now, I know we got a lot of ballers out here, right? We got a lot of coaches out here. A lot of you, I know in your sessions, in your games, you're constantly saying, you got to take care of the ball, but you're not taking care of your own. It's crazy. It's it's wild, and we got to change that here, and Manscaped's going to help you do that. So, first off, we've got the Lawnmower 4.0, and it is the future of men's below-the-waist grooming. And that is because of their advanced skin safe technology. The lawnmower 4.0 is also waterproof. It has a 400k LED spotlight. So no more going blind in the bathroom, getting hair all over the floor, right? Pop in the shower. You've got the light as well. Easy. And you're done. On to the next one. Now, same goes for that weed whacker, the Manscaped Weed Whacker for your ear and nose hair trimming necessities. You've got the proprietary skin safe technology, which is going to help reduce with nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate, sensitive areas. Now, last but not least, we can't forget about the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Ball Toner. A lot of you guys, I know you've got a routine with your recovery, right? You've got pregame rituals, you've got postgame rituals, a recovery routine that you do after, right? Hop in an ice bath, whatever it is, you have to add your below the waist care to that. You've got to take care of your balls, gentlemen. You don't want to be playing 90 minutes and then you come in and you're sweaty and disgusting and you're not taking care of yourself. You got, you got to do it. And Manscaped, like I said, is here to help you in that department. And who knows, maybe that special someone that's in your life coming to the game, watching you play, you know, you play a good 90 minutes, maybe you bag a goal. I don't know. 
You want to be ready. You want to be prepared. You don't want to be in a situation where you are left without Manscaped. Now, just because Manscaped is hooking you up and they want to take care of you, the Performance Package 4.0 has a couple of goodies thrown in there. They've got the Manscaped boxer briefs and they threw in a little carry-on bag just to travel with all of your Manscaped products, whether you're going for an away game, right? It's a road trip, you're in a plane, whatever. Chuck all your Manscaped products in there. You don't have to think about it. You can forget about it and make sure that you're still taken care of. So it is time, gentlemen, because your balls will thank you. It is time to take care of yourself. So go to manscaped.com and get 20% off with free shipping using the code 11. That's 20% off with free shipping using the code 11, E-L-E-V-E-N at manscaped.com. That is 20 whole percent off of your order. 20% off your order with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code 11, unlock your confidence, and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Yeah, I mean, I mean, listen, I think that I was watching the, uh, the U.S. game against uh, TNT the other day, mm-hmm. um, and I think it was... Was it, was it Alexi, Alexi Lalas? I think he said something to the effect of like, the MLS is started off as a, as a buying league. Like uh, it was like, who can we buy? Right. Like what 35 year old washed up guy that can't play, you know, in, in, in Europe anymore, let's buy them and bring them over here. Right. Where I think now it's very much becoming a selling league. Um, And I mean, I mean, you just, you've seen it now, like loan deals for, you know, for two guys to Swansea, Um, you know, AS Rome. Like, so I think, I think the model of soccer in the U.S. is is very odd, and I think it's been odd for a while because we we have the massive elephant in the room of where does college sit, right? Like how yeah. how much does college actually drive the success of players? And I think the biggest the biggest mock on college is that like you're eighteen, you're in it when you're eighteen to twenty two, and it's such it's such an important span of years for players if they want to be. I mean, I mean, what's his name? The guy that won, um, he won the Herman Trophy, I think, two years. He's from Maryland. Um, I can't remember what his name was. But, like, he's, he was the best player in college for two years. Um, oh, it's going to bother me that I can't remember his name. But, like, he was the best player in college for two years, and I think he's been a guy in the MLS. He just flo- he's just floated, right? I, I don't think he's actually gotten a hold on, like, you know, and, and look at me. I'm talking about a guy, like, I'm talking about a guy that's in the MLS, right? But, like, I think uh, that – 2018? I want to say, yeah, maybe. No. 19? Younger than that. Younger? Not yeah, 20, try 20, try 13, 14, or 15. Oh, Maryland. 12 yeah. and 13 was Patrick Mullins. Yeah, Patrick Mullins, right? Like, where is Patrick Mullins right now? You know what That's I mean? Like, question. and this, and, and listen, this was, and this was the best guy in college for two years straight like he was unbelievable yeah. right like he was a, he was above and like now he's in the MLS and it's like okay right but I, so yeah. I think I think that clubs like you know obviously it's easy to pick out the union love the union big union guy um and and like you know easy ones like FC Dallas and it's like I think we went from yeah we'll use the academy and it'll be and it'll be good and you know we'll you know those players will go off somewhere else or like I think it first started as like those academy players, they'll be D one guys, right? Yeah. And it's like FC Dallas early on took a took a hard step and was like, no, like these are going to be the guys that going to that going to they're going to be our first team players, right? And I think yeah. that 
the ability to sell those guys. I mean, like you, you look at sporting in Portugal, right? Like they're like Ajax, right? Like those are clubs that are driven off of, we're going to, we're going to develop, we're going to create environments for players to drive themselves. They're going to become at a certain level and we're going to be able to sell them. Right. At the same time. Right. I think there's a balance there where like some clubs are able to do a good job with still maintaining competition levels, right? Like Lisbon is still, is still a good club. Ajax is still a good club. Southampton is still a good club, or even though they got smashed the other day, but like, you know, but like these are, these are good clubs that are able to move their good players on and then fill and then backfill them with new. Yeah. Good players. Right. And I think we'll see what the union are able to do with that. Now that they've, you know, they sold the likes of Aronson and, and, and McKenzie and, you know, we'll see what the, what the next couple of guys that come in and see how they do and whether the, you know, the pathway for them is, is going to work. But, um, you know, I think, I think it's a side, I think even like years before, like when McBride and Donovan and Beasley and all those guys, like, I think that that, that was another moment where there was some success here. And then guys, you know, I guess clubs from all around were like, all right, let's start to invest in American players. Yeah. I think that we're at a period now where I think that we're going to see this as a, as a longer as a longer term, because I think that clubs from Europe are going like, okay, they're starting to model a little bit of what we've done in the past where like you, you try to pull from the youth. Right. And then, and then bring them along. Like, I don't know how many guys, like, you know, I think, um, you know, Jordan Morris is, is, you know, is a diamond dozen now where a guy that, you know, he went to school, he graduated from school, he got drafted into the MLS he's a main guy on the national team and now he's going to loan to Swansea, right? Like I, I don't know how many other guys that's going yeah. to happen, right? Like yeah. where it's, like, it's he, very yeah, much he, the he, younger guys. He very well might be the last kind of, of that breed. Like there'll still always be, you know, players kind of that will mix in here and there. Like, you know, Chris Mueller from Orlando city, like right. he's kind of another player like that, that just will come in and perform it and pop up on a radar. But I, I think I agree with what you're saying that, 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 model that player you see it every year that as the draft progresses like the draft is kind of dying mm. i don't honestly i don't know why we haven't done away with it altogether because it's just it's, there. it's not a practical model anymore for what we do in terms of soccer and i think what, what was interesting for me is and, I, and i've had conversations with people is and I, at first i looked at all these players moving to europe as a good thing and a bad thing, right? Because I thought, well, what is it going to do to our product of, of our league? If every time we have, you know, every Brendan Aronson that we develop, boom, he's gone. Right. And, but then I started to think about it more and I'm like, well, it doesn't necessarily mean that our league has to be the highest level for us to still be able to produce good players and have a quality national team. You know what I mean? Like, and I always think back to the, to the teams of, or the countries of like Brazil and Argentina, like, they're essentially selling countries, right? Brazil is, if you're the best player in Brazil, you shouldn't be playing in Brazil. And that's like, and there's never a doubt or never a desire to maybe make the Brazilian league one of the world superpowers and and a world competitor. I'm sure it would be nice, but maybe it's kind of a model that we can adapt as well. It's the goal isn't to have MLS be the best league in the world but maybe it's for our MLS system to develop the best players in the world. Yeah. And I think, and I think that's what I was alluding to with like talking about Ajax and, and sport or Ajax and sporting, like 
<clears throat> I think the league in itself is becoming, you know, a, a selling league. I don't think it's, I think, yeah. I think eventually it'll become the league in itself. And I, you know, cause it's easy to look at like longstanding leagues, like the, like the Bundesliga, like the Bundesliga is very much like we, like our national team is driven based on the successes of our league. Cause like they have so many German based players to play in, you know, in the, in those leagues, but like, that's a league that's been around for how long, right? Like, yeah, the premier league is like, is, you know, how long, right? So I don't know, obviously, you know, you want MLS to be as good as, as good as it can be, but that doesn't, I don't think that I think with, I think with the, with the things that are happening right now with players going away and and being successful, right. Not just going away, but like finding success. Right. I think that it does, you don't have to look at it as like, okay, our national team is never going to be good unless our MLS league is good. Now, now yeah. in fairness, like our MLS league is doing, is doing really well. It's, it expands, like it's got, it's got good players, but I think, I think a, a big piece of that is the teams, the teams that are diving into their academies, I think are, I think are doing well. And I also think too, like they get recognition for it, right? Like, Teams that sell their players or loan their players, like it's it's a big deal. I mean, yeah. like Reynolds from from FC Dallas, like that's a huge, huge deal. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, just looking at the FC Dallas like pedigree right now is is kind of insane to see the players that they have put out are like shopping still. You know, right now it, it's it's kind of wild. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I mean, but like they they were, they were so ahead of the curve as far as like, we're going to create like a player. I mean, like Red Bull, I think Red Bull's gotten away from it a little bit, but like, I mean, look at the guys that used to play for Red Bull, like Tyler Adams. Um, what's his name? The center back for, uh, that was on the national, that was that captain the national team the other day. Why can't I remember? Yeah. Like Aaron Long, like another, you know, that's another Red Bull guy. Tim Weah was a Red Bull guy. You know what I mean? Like these, these are clubs that were like, you know, we're going to do right by, right by the youth academies and and they're not to, i don't want to say they're reaping the benefits right but like they get that recognition because those players that are playing at a high level now and that are impacting the national team on a high level where they come from like that like that matters right um and and not to be like and obviously i, I love the union and you know i'm a you know because i'm from here right but like the union had no like what you were talking about with the draft like the union had no picks yeah they sold all of their picks like Right. So it's like, I'm just wondering how much longer it's going to be before everybody's like, now we're good. Yeah. Yeah. Cause once you get to a point where when you start looking at the later rounds of the draft, it's just half the picks aren't even used. So, you know, you get to a point where, okay, well, if only 10 teams are actually going to use their pick, does it make sense to, to even do this? Yeah. Um, But I guess a follow-up question that I have to this topic as a whole is I remember reading an article about, like for example, Pulisic played, you know, is a Hershey, Pennsylvania guy played for classics, if I'm not mistaken, right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Played for PA classics. And this article was essentially along the lines of saying how from his transfer fees of like going to Dortmund, um, going to Chelsea, that a percentage of that would have gone back to his initial home. And I don't know, I'm, I'm not as well versed in the, in the finance and sport management side of the game as I maybe should be. Um, but I do know, you know, especially in the European model, as, as younger players are moved up to bigger clubs, there is financial compensation kind of 
for that player because that's the way that it works in in soccer not unlike american sports that we have where we you know trade for players it's it's your property kind of and you're bought and sold mm. what do you think you know for example a club like pa classics even if they get a percentage of that pulisic transfer fee that completely changes who they are as a club and it allows them to do so many different things and, right. and I guess that's kind of what I was alluding to as well. You know, like for you guys, you produce so many good players and usually the best ones in your area, like where do they go? They go to the union, right? right? Like, is there a model that would work for us somehow to allow a club to a club like yourself to kind of get rewarded in a monetary way for all of that? you know, talent that you're really producing and developing. And then, and I'm not to say that union isn't developing talent as well, but in some instances, they're kind of cherry picking off the top of all the best local clubs. Yeah. And and I think, and obviously now we're talking numbers, dude. So like you totally lost me. Right. But (laughs) no, I'm talking like, listen, I've heard, I've heard that. I've also heard the classics was like, don't worry about it. Um, I think, I think that back then, like, right. Like when, when Pulisic went and, um, you know, and I think McKenney kind of did the same thing where it, it was, it was uh, connections that they had on their own. Right. Or like that somebody kind of helped them with where it wasn't, um, you know, for instance, and again, like a, a union relation, right. Like Ernst Tanner used to go to like, used to be a part of Red Bull. So like Aronson's connection to Red Bull, like that comes like between like within those relationships. Right. Yeah. Um. So again, there's a pathway there. I think that I will say that I think that MLS clubs aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing if they're not pulling the best kids off of, you know, and again, it's, it's tough. I I think, but I would be, I would be hypocritical to say like, Oh, you know, we don't want to send kids to the union, right? Like obviously we want to have very competitive MLS next teams and, and we want to compete in the same league because we do. Right. But like at the same time, there's going to be resources. There's going to be things that we maybe can't, you know, provide to those, to those players. Um, and at the end of the day, I think, uh, you know, again, we're talking about the environment that's created, right? So like you would think that an MLS next team, you know, a, 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 an, an actual MLS Academy, the environment is, is different, right? Because now we're talking about, it, it should be the most competitive players, right? Like, the union should have the most competitive players within the region. Um, you know, and, and, and they even get guys from like outside the region. Now that goes into like homegrown signings and all that stuff, which, you know, I'm not super privy to, but like if they have the ability to do that, right. Like, listen, like I can go out to EDP events or I can go out to APL, like, you know, showcases and stuff. And like, I can look for kids. Right. But like, I can't go to Florida and watch every single MLS team and, and yeah. MLS next team and like, and find the best players. If you're able to do that, you would hope that you're able to bring in as many good players into one environment as you possibly can. Right. And I think, and again, I think that creating an environment where you have some of the best players and you have as many good players around each other for long periods of time, training three, four five days a week, there's going to be things that rise. Like there's going to be players that rise to the top and hopefully that pushes our national team. And I kind of think that's where we're at now because I think that a, a byproduct of that too is I think that you would have, again, you would have to imagine that Christian Pulisic going to Dortmund at a young age, the environment that he found himself in from a training perspective 
had to be more competitive than what he was in before. Right. Or yeah. else, or else why make the jump? Right. Obviously the why make the jump is like, Oh, I'm at Dortmund. Like I might be able to play the, for the first team cause I'm training there. Right. But like, you would think that at that level, the environment is, is very, very competitive. Right. And I think McKinney too, I think, you know, Reynolds too, like that's why, you know, hop or hope. Like that's why those guys are going over there because number one, they've, they've probably got a few connections, but like, we're talking about on a, on a grander scale, right? So we're talking about like MLS teams and academies being able to pull from the U S we're now talking about like the Dortmunds and the Schalke's and, and obviously, you know, not on the, on the grandest scale, but like they should, and they have the resource to be able to pull from a, from a, a wider area. Right. So now we're talking like, now what does that environment look like? What do those players look like? Right. You know, like, and I, and I would say that, listen, the more that you can do that, why not? Right. The more that you can get out of your comfort zone, why not? And I think from a, from a young age, you know, I, I think if, if the opportunity presents itself, why not just experience it? Right. Why, you know, why not? So like I said, I would love to, for us to do it ourselves. Right. Um, but I, I don't think, I don't think that right now, maybe we don't have the resources to do, you know, to do that. Maybe one day we will, right. Maybe the union one day will be able to, you know, to pull people from, from all over the country as far as, as far like as a, as a youth academy goes. But right now, like why, why would we stifle players experiences and, and potentials to be selfish? And I think that that's maybe what MLS was a little bit ago with the league and saying like, Hey, like our, our national team's only going to be good if our league's good. Like, yeah that's not that's not true right so yeah yeah and see you know i'll play i'll play devil's advocate a little bit and and because because i'm greedy because it, I, I, I understand i understand completely where you're coming from and you're 100 right that fostering these better environments in your club in other clubs across the country and then as well as you say as that cream rises to the top in these mls you know kind of the pinnacle in our country having these training environments is producing good players and you're seeing that the, the where where I'd push back a little bit and I guess where I see it from in terms of the, like you said who has the resources to be able to do it I think you know let's take that Brian Reynolds example and let's say he's a Delco player and he goes to Roma for nine million dollars nine million euros if that money is then some of that money is then allocated to Delco now maybe that affords you the opportunity to because you know, the fact of the matter is right now, if somebody wants to come and play for Delco, like this isn't a secret, they have to pay and they right. have to pay a hefty sum of money. Yeah. I mean, listen, there's, there's, there's scholarships and stuff, but it's, I mean, it's, it's pay to play. It's pay to play. Yeah, so. it is. So now maybe you're in a position where any kid across, you know, the Philadelphia tri-state region that maybe financially can't really afford to play for your club at that current moment. Now, all of a sudden you have some of this transfer fee maybe, you know, for the next two years, players don't have to pay to play right. or something like that. That's the only way, like, cause I do think that that is maybe the one final thing that we need to somehow work towards correcting a little bit. And because I love the game, you love the game. And that would be, you know, that would suck from my perspective to have a kid who loves it, has the potential, has the talent to do amazing things from a young age. And they're not afforded the same opportunities as someone who is just in a, in a better financial situation or their family's in a better financial spot. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think if we take, you know, if we take the IAX and the, and the sporting, you know, I, um, 
examples, like those clubs are able to maintain what they can do because of the fees that are associated with the players that they sell. Right. Like they, like, it's not like, yeah, fine. You can have that guy. Like, no, like it, it's a bit, it's, it's a business, right? Like we need to be able to, um, you know, essentially fill the void of what was, of what was left. And we do that by putting money back into the, into the academies. I know that there was a lot of talk and it kind of simmered down with, with Pulisic, but you know, I don't know. I don't know who oversees that process as far as what um, fees are, um, you know, delegated to, to what individuals I know, like a big piece of that with, I think there was a lot with Deandre Yedlin, like, cause he was at, uh, he was at Seattle, but before Seattle, he was at, um, I think it was Crot. No, he was at, he was at another, he was at a non MLS Academy. Mm. Right. I can't believe I can't remember what it is, but like, that was the thing is like, you need to be able, you need to be able to provide evidence that says that he was part of your, like of your Academy in order to get, like to get that, that money allocated towards you. And I don't think from when these guys first started, like that was, you know, I don't, I don't think that the academies were developed initially right back in, um, you know, whenever they were like to go, we're going to create players so that we can sell them. Like, yeah. no, like we're going to create a, a really good league. That's going to be competitive and, and, and drive performance so that like, you know, we can have good kids and like a good league. Right. Like, I don't think that the idea was like, yeah, we're going to sell guys. So like, I don't think that the processes of like, what do we need in order to prove that we should get money when we sell, you know, when yeah. we sell Christian Pulisic, right? So, and I think that's a trouble that's that's run into is like, how do you, how do you prove how do you prove that? Like, you know, your got soccer registration? I don't, you know, I, I don't I don't know. Yeah. Um, but listen, I agree. I think because something that we talk about from you know, like I said, from a from a visionary standpoint is you know we don't want to be pay to play at Delco. Like, you know, the the more like I said, we do a really good job with scholarships um, because, you know, our our mindset is like we're not going to tell a kid like they can't play because of because of financial reasons. Like we're going to do everything we possibly can in order to to help them, you know, to help them do what they want to do. Right. Um, but I think I think that that's you know, that's the question is like is, is how like, you know, donors, because um, obviously like scholarship has to come from somewhere like it doesn't just like magically, you know, because because, again, like being being involved in MLS next, being involved in ECNL, like, you know, boys and girls, like you have to provide other things. Like there are other categories that you have to like check the boxes. Like we're, we're fortunate that we get to use proving grounds, which is an absolutely great facility. Right. But like, we don't get to use it for free. You know, we've got to record games. Like that's not free. Like we, you know, we've got to do all these things that like they cost money. Like, you know, we've got to, um, you know, we've got to figure out a way to make it so that it's, it's more attainable for, for people. And, and that's, and that's the big thing. And I think that, I think whoever figures that out first is going to be a massive driver in the success of, of you soccer in this country. Right. Because there, there are like the money has, to, the money has to go out, right. To pay for certain things. But if you can figure out, I guess that middle ground of how you allow like kids to play and, and not do that. I know like, you know, for instance, like continental, I think their four teens back right in the beginning were like completely free, right? The, the four teens Academy was completely free. Like no one on the four teens uh, paid for it. Um, I think those kids were actually 2001. So like they just, they're freshmen in college now. Um, but I think, you know, that's, that's the big question. And I think obviously the more that you can do to, to gain some of that based off of the players that leave, 
I think, I think the better off you're going to be, but I don't, you know, I don't know who figure, I don't know who figures that out. You know, I yeah. don't know, I don't know who makes those rules. So I think it, it'd be good for us to try to, to like I said, I think it, it, it died a little bit. I think that was a big, that was big, big news. Like everybody was trying to figure that out. And and now it's kind of like, yeah, I guess, I guess we're just not worried about the millions of dollars that you can get apparently. Yeah. It, it, I mean, you kind of alluded to it. It's a little bit of a kind of like walk before you run type like ideology of, you know, yes, in that perfect world, we would have this system across the board for all of our players to be able to play and, and not have to pay for it. But like you said, right now, I think the main goal is just, can we get really good at coaching and developing players and fostering this environment that we keep kind of harping back on is like, that's, that has to be the goal. Number one, like if we went into it kind of backwards and just thought about all of it from a dollars and cents perspective, it wouldn't have mattered because it's like, well, you're not really doing what you're, what you've sought out to do. And then that's develop quality players and, you know, really do something with this game. So I think it's just, it's just something that, you know, it, it bops around in my mind. Cause I think it's probably where we are starting to go as we continue to, as we continue to see players do really well in this league and, and, you know, move on to bigger and better things. And I think that's going to be the next piece of the equation is how do the smaller clubs like yourself, how do they factor into this equation? You know, wh- where do they fit in into, into the big, uh, into the big puzzle that is kind of youth soccer and into professional soccer in the, in the world. So, and I, and I think that, I think that helps us, right. I think that, I think that helps us because if we, if we have more clubs firing on all cylinders, like, you know, like the MLS teams are able to do, like now we're talking about, you know, that's, that's just more, that's, bigger numbers right so now we have a bigger pool to 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 choose from so that's going to be that's going to be good for us on on the grander scale so yeah my my final kind of area that I want to dive into you a little bit with and I'm interested to see from uh I've had had a couple of different coaches on this podcast before but I don't know if um I've had kind of like individual trainers on before and and just coaches that are kind of in a different atmosphere than you are right now so I'm interested to see when you, when you talk about talent, like we've talked a lot about players and talent, identifying talent, developing it, all those types of things. So it's a broad question to ask, I know. But for example, like you said, when you're at tryouts and, and you're scouting and you're evaluating talent, we don't necessarily have to go into kind of position by position, but what's just kind of some of the things that you look for? Like what's something that jumps out at you right away when you are scouting or evaluating a player so involvement i mean if if guys aren't involved and and tuned in and i think we we use a word a lot like it's called like busy like stay Mm -hmm. busy stay busy right and and i think that means a lot to like you know people will say right now like from that comment like oh well you know how's a number nine supposed to stay busy or stay like stay involved well like yeah, I, I'm not saying that they need to track back inside their own 18 and like make a tackle, right? But like, what I'm saying is like, can they can they be tuned in, right? Can they see? Can they be involved in the game? And and when you know when when I'm watching games, and even from like when I was recruiting in college, like <clears throat> I used to bring in a lot of guys that were central midfielders, right? Like they used to play central mid, and and in fairness, that's because probably most of those guys were the better players on their team. They were probably the more technical guys on their team. They were they were the more involved guys on their team. 
Um, and then, you know, as you, as you progress, I think being a, you know, being a coach at a college is trying to figure out where guys are going to be able to play long-term. Right. Cause I think the guys have an idea of like, okay, you know, I'm gonna, I'm at number 10. It's like, maybe there you were, but like at this level, you know, maybe, maybe you were, you know, an outside back, maybe you're a winger, maybe, you know, whatever. But I think, yeah, to answer your question, like the biggest thing is like involvement. If guys aren't involved, if guys aren't tuned in, um, you know, it's, I, I don't think, I think that that's the biggest thing that translate to, to any level. Um, Cause I think with that, there's, there's a passion there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with that, you can see there's a, there's an eagerness to, to, to grow almost like, I, I know, like you can't look at a kid and go like, you know, Oh, that kid's gonna, you know, that kid wants to learn how to play soccer. Right. But it's like, you can just see like, there's an energy to it. Right. And there's a, you know, I'm, I'm too old to use the word vibe. Right. But like, there's a vibe to like those, like to those players that are like, I think that that's going to be a guy, you know, or a girl, like that's going to be able to go into a different environment and not lose and not lose themselves. Right. Cause I think that's, I think that's a massive aspect to it too, is, you can, you know, you can look at players from afar and in their own environment where they're comfortable and say, yeah, they're good. Yeah, they're good. Like, oh, that's a good player. That's a good player. Like, oh, they scored this many goals or, oh, they've had this many clean sheets. But it's like you, you're looking for translatable traits Yeah, that can transfer. You like that alliteration, by the way? That can transfer <laughs> like, into, like in, into, into other environments, right? And, and I think part of that is you, you can see if, if a player is highly motivated right on their own and they're highly engaged in, into what they're doing, I think you're not worried about a, a comfort level with them. Like you can see that they're going to be somebody that is able to go kind of in any environment and, and still be themselves and still be, you know, successful. Now, I think it's an interesting uh, idea. Like, for example, when you talk about you go out and you're looking for some of the best players that you want to bring into your club and you want to have them become a part of your environment. Do you feel like what's the difference kind of between when you're going out and you're looking for someone who has kind of those qualities that you talked about, those traits that you're looking for to, to implement into your teams or into your club? What's the difference between going out and trying to find that talent? And then now you're actually working with those players day in and day out and you are, you know, trying to develop them and you kind of almost maybe press reset a little bit. And now you're looking at the player from the perspective of, okay, what can I do? I liked those things about them and that's why I brought them here, but now I'm trying to take them to the next level. So what are the things maybe that they have kind of as a deficiency in their game or how do I get them to, you know, double down on their strengths even more and become the best player? Like not to say that you're looking for the holes in a player, but you're trying to kind of like, you know, your goal is to take them to a next level. You brought them here for a certain reason, but how does that transition for you to then be like, okay, that's great that you can do those things. Now here's where we go from here. Yeah. I mean, I mean, listen, we've, we've got, we've got certain aspects and certain attributes that we want from our players. Right. Like I think, I think with, with the high involvement comes like mobility, right. So like, you know, players, you have to be able to move. You have to have a technical, you know, a technical baseline. I think there's, there's a, there's foundational pieces that players have to have in order for us to even, you know, to look at, you know, to look at them. And I think one of those foundational pieces is, is the mindset that you can see from the way that they conduct themselves on the field. Right. Um, and I think part, of, I think at, at 
I would say your question is is answered differently based on ages. The the mentality side of things, you're part of the base and the foundation for younger ages, mm-hmm. right? I, and I think once you get to once you get to older ages, and players are kind of in their you know in their positions because obviously like you know by the time you're 17 or 19, like you're not a guy where you're like I can play anywhere. Like you know you've got like a couple of spots that you're, you're pretty comfortable with. So I think from a, from a development standpoint, when they're, when they're within the club is, you know, we're, we're also looking as they get a little bit older is, you know, the mind, the mindset's there, um, the characteristics, the personality are there. And then obviously like if we're looking for some things specific to positions, like those are the pieces that we're looking for. And, and, um, and, and can we grow in those? Like I know, I was listening to Colin Cowherd the other day and uh, and he talked about, I forget where it was. He was like talking about, he was talking about Alabama, right? And he's talking about uh, like Alabama versus LSU. And he's talking about the guys that get drafted. He's like, he, somebody told him like an NFL exec told him like, he goes, I love getting guys. And it might not be LSU. Right. But he's like, I love getting guys from LSU. Right. Because like they're at a good spot and you can see where they can go. And he's like getting guys from Alabama. It's not, it's the worst thing in the world. Right. Cause they, they, they get massive amounts of guys that go into the NFL. Right. But he's like, for most of those guys, like they are what they are. Like when, when you bring them in, like the, this, they've kind of hit their ceiling for the most part because Nick Saban gets everything out of them. And that's why they're so successful at Alabama. Right. It's not a knock on Nick Saban. It's just, that's what he, that's what he does. He gets, he gets everything out of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think when we're, when we're talking about, you know, I, I don't want to say that we're looking for like LSU guys, at a younger age group because we want to, we're looking for high ceilings, right? Because for us, we're not looking just at, we're never looking just at like what we can get out of you. Like we're always looking at the ceiling for guys. Um, but I think that obviously as you get a little bit older, you start to get closer and closer to your ceiling. Um, and I think that we're looking about more specific things. And I know I'm being super vague and I, I we're looking about more specific things as you get a little bit older versus like, the foundational aspects when you're, when you're a little bit younger, Um, you know, and I think that main attributes that we're looking for from the younger ages and even into the older ages is like personality, athleticism. Um, Cause, cause again, like I am a firm believer that, you know, years ago people used to say like, Oh, that kid's just fast. Like he's not really a soccer player. And it's like, what? But a kid that can, a kid that can do a thousand toe touches inside a box is a good soccer player for you guys. Like, I don't, I don't get that. Right. Like, those players have a good base, right? Because soccer is a sport, right? And soccer requires athletes, right? So like you can build into those players. Now, like, are they going to be able to, you know, are they going to be as technical at that moment as a kid that, you know, does the Corver stuff all the time? Maybe not, but is, is their athleticism a little bit more translatable to what you're looking for in a player long-term? I would say yes. Right. I, w- I would say yes. Um, and I'm going to get on the soapbox a little bit here too. Like, and I think, that and you're gonna get me in trouble because I'm gonna have to like like we're gonna have to edit stuff out because I'm gonna get in trouble if you post this whole thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I keep thinking to soccer isn't for everyone. I'm like, why did I say that? Um guys, he you, soccer is for everyone. Okay. If you want to play <laughs> soccer, you can play soccer. <laughs> the competitive environment isn't for everyone, is what I meant to say. Just a dis- disclaimer there. Um <laughs> I think that and I had a conversation with a, with a parent the other day. Right. And he said something to me to the effect of like, I guess I'm just used to the European game. Like when he was complaining about his son playing in a specific position. Mm-hmm. So my first thought was like, uh, what? And I, and I think that in this country a little bit, we, 
we look overseas, right. And we see the, you know, we're so like, Oh, we, everybody should play like Barcelona and everybody should play like Man City now. And it's like, even Man City has developed away from like Pep has developed a little bit away from what he used to do at Barcelona. Right. Because yeah, he doesn't have Iniesta. He doesn't have Xavi. Like he, like he doesn't have those guys to be able to pull those. He doesn't have Messi. Like he's got different players. And I think the game has developed a little bit more so to be, and I know, and it's like, it's weird to say direct because direct is such a bad term. It used to be such a bad term. Right. But like, I think that we, in this country, we try to create soccer players and our, and our, our vision for soccer players is guys that can pass the ball short and like, you know, connect 300 passes before we even get a shot on goal where it's like, you're looking at it and you're going, we have some of the most athletic individuals in this country uh, from any other country, right? Like, I mean, we're talking like we, like there are, there are human beings like LeBron James and, um, and like DK Metcalf, like now I'm not saying like, they're like, they're going to play soccer. Right. But like the athleticism that we kind of toss to the side because we say like, Oh God, he's got a terrible first touch. Like, yeah, well he's 12. So like, that makes sense. You know, like I think that the style that we try to, that we have tried in the past to like implement is so difficult and so unrealistic for on a grand scale yeah that like we can just be the united states and like you look at the teams like of bob bradley and stuff and it's like they were hard-working individuals that grinded out results and it's like we can we can still do that and still call that soccer like that's like that's okay guys you know what i mean so it's yeah. like and i think from a philosophical standpoint and to tie back in like from from a philosophical standpoint at delco like we want to play in that way right like we want to do a lot of work in the opponent's half. And if that means that we look to bypass their, the last line of pressure and like squeeze the ball and, and, and disrupt and press and try to win the ball higher up the field so that we don't have to connect 50 passes to get forward. Like that's, that's okay with us. Cause I think that that translates more into a competitive side, into a, you know, a, a willingness to, to get, to get results. And I know results is, a, is another bad word. Right. But like the whole reason you play sports is to, is to do well and compete. Right. Like, yeah. You know, like even, even kids that are playing basketball on, you know, on the side of the road up on my house, like they're not just shooting around. Like ev- eventually they're going to go, all right, we're going two V two, like first to 11. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're, you're playing. Um, so I think that we're, we're looking for players that want to compete obviously. Right. But we're, we're looking for things that are very translatable. And I think, you know, people used to say like, these are bad words, but like athleticism and pace and physicality, like these are all drivers for ceilings of players. Right. And I think it's our job as clubs and our job as coaches to obviously hint at stuff that helps them, you know, from a technical side, like you're not going to let a player like take a donkey touch out of bounds every single time and say, Hey, good job, Steve. Like, no, Steve, it's not a good job. Like you need to adjust your body this way. Like those are little aspects of it. Right. But I think, from a from a standpoint of of what we're looking for and what and what you do within within the club when when players get in here like you're you're driving competitiveness you're driving passion and i think byproducts of those and byproducts of being in good environments is that those players are going to learn how to play soccer right because they're not going to do the same thing over and over again and and lose games or take bad touches or cuz what comes from that is like Brennan's eventually going to yell at me and say like, stop giving the ball to the other team. And I'm going to go, yeah, maybe I should. Right. And then like, yeah. just in that moment, maybe I, I, I adjust and I become a better player, but that's, 
soapbox stuff. I don't even think no, I answered your question. I, I'm, I'm actually, I'm really happy that you brought this up because I think it's, it's such an important thing. I think it's, it's funny that Barcelona team, I, you know, I come back to this idea of a blessing and a curse. Like that was absolutely some of the most amazing football I think that we'll ever absolutely. watch in our whole life. Absolutely. But it, it almost released this idea on the whole world that like, well, I want to play like that. And, and you don't understand how truly difficult it is, as you said, to play that way. Like if you dive more into the, that style, that philosophy, and you talk to players who played in that team, like Thierry Henry used to say, and Thierry Henry didn't last super long playing in that system, mm-hmm. if, you know, is a world-class <laughs> player, but in those, you know, there's, there's other world-class players that have been there that were in that system that were just kind of cast aside. They didn't fit in the system or, you know, Pep didn't have use for them. Like Henri used to say, it was one of the most difficult systems he ever played in, not only from like a mental perspective of just trying to figure out how to play this way, but physically they would say like, he would just have to make run after run after run in behind and he would never get the ball. And I think that's something that people sometimes miss is that they think it's just, you know, these midfielders combining underneath and, you know, everyone's just kind of floating around and then all of a sudden Messi's open. And, you know, it's clipped in behind and now he's in on goal. Like the reason that there's that space to be able to play is because of the athleticism of the wingers and and the physical workload that they're putting in to create that space and develop that space. So like the idea that it's, it's strictly technical and it doesn't also have that athletic component to it isn't actually the case because that Barcelona team was very, very athletic as well. You just don't conceptualize, you know, Xavi or Iniesta as, superior athletes but they played a different role in that team than than what a lot of other guys did and that's that's why I say I love that you bring this up because I think what's exciting about the players that we're producing and, and as you said kind of our national team as a whole is we do still have some of those characteristics and are, are trying to play to those characteristics of we're an athletic team we have good athletes that we produce in this country that are that are fast that are strong and and that can you know, play a dynamic style, but then we have a little bit of creativity that I don't think that we've had before in the past, or at least to the same level that then just adds kind of the next level to it, you know, because as we saw in years past, the teams with the Michael Bradley's and, and Clint Dempsey's and Lynn Donovan's who have the engine to go for 90 minutes, they can compete with almost anyone, but there's a difference between competing. And then, as you said, that different word of results, can you go from being competitive to being a winning team? And, you know, you see in our midfield now, it's still that same mindset. Like Weston McKinney is still going to just run all over the pitch for 90 minutes. Tyler Adams is still going to just hunt everyone down for 90 minutes, but then Weston McKinney might show up in the box and like do some, flying side scorpion kick that he did for Juventus that unbelievable by the way you're like oh okay like but Ali Bedoya I love you but I don't know if I've ever seen you do that before oh because I listen listen <laughs> big union guy I love Bedoya Bedoya is my man but like I knew I shouldn't have picked him. <laughs> but like Bedoya you should be playing you should be playing right back even for the union but like no listen I, I get I get what you're saying like 100% because listen at the, at the highest levels right like you're you're not going to be able to just like grind out you know grind out results and like stay in games like because you need a little bit of separation and that comes from having soccer players like having good like really quality like really exciting like you know the the Pulisic like Pulisic 
Reyna, um, you know, those guys, like, even, like, even for me, like a guy like Jordan Morris, who like maybe isn't the most like technical guy, but like, he reminds me, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll catch flack for this. Right. But like, he reminds me of, of like, of Jamie Vardy. Like he's just, he's just, he's non, he's nonstop. And the things that he creates just because he's nonstop make him successful. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's like, and that's, you know, and, and that's, and that's okay. But I agree. Like, listen, it's, it's exciting to, to look at, you know, McKenney and Adams who are just going to like hump people down. And then, and then, you know, they, they have, you know, they have the flip side of, you know, West can score unbelievable goals, but then they can also give the ball to like a Pulisic who's, who can run at anybody. Like he's shown that he can run at anybody, right? Like Gio who like consistently unlocks things for, you know, for Erling so that he can score a bag of goals, right? Like those, you know, it's, it's, it's exciting to see. And I think that that is, um, I think that's just, I mean, I think it's just super exciting. I think that that's, I think it's why it's, it's, it's fun. It's fun to watch a team now. And I know people say like, Oh, why are they playing like Trinidad and Tobago? And like, it's stupid. They beat them seven, nothing. But it's like, I think the reverse out of that is like, guys, remember that time that we didn't go to world cup because we lost to Trinidad and Tobago, yeah. like in, in Trinidad and Tobago, like you need, you need to get those results. Like you should be getting those results against those teams. Right. And then you should be having games against like the Mexico's and the Canada's that are like, a little bit more competitive, but you need to be able to do, you know, do the business with, with whatever roster you have out there. Um, but, but yeah, listen, I, I, I agree. And I think the people, people fail to recognize some of that stuff from, you know, cause they, they look and, and, and obviously we're talking about from a, from a bigger population. Cause obviously people watch soccer on TV that maybe aren't involved. Right. But like, then they look at Barson like, Oh, this is how soccer needs to be played. And then like, you know, Steve's dad is is coaching his team. He's like, guys, we got to connect. You know, this player has to move here and then play backwards and, and and all this. And it's like, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know. You know, I don't know. And I think that's, um, I think that's a big piece of you know the coaching courses. I know that we didn't, you know, we didn't talk about it them, them a ton, but like, I think the grassroots coaching courses are so massive for this country because I think that they kind of teach, they they make it, they make being able to teach kids very accessible to everyone. Mm you know, to, to parents, like, like they don't need like parents, you don't need to spend, you know, $5,000 a month on like a profession or professional trainer, you know, with an accent, like you can just do it. You're like, here's an activity that you can do that will, that just like throws kids in something that they're going to see on the weekend that gets them comfortable with being able to play soccer. Right. So it's like, it's good. It's good. Yeah. Maybe that be, can be where we, uh, cap it off is, uh, the coaching education piece of it. So you're now, a licensed, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe you kind of walk somebody through what the, the coaching courses are like in this country, what it's like to be now an A licensed coach, um, you know, maybe for some aspiring coaches out there, current coaches out there, give us a, a broader view of kind of what our, our coaching courses look like. Yeah. So I know that some people do not like them, you know, I, I love coaching courses. Uh, I think that, listen, they're, they're not something where you're, you, you go there and like you learn all these new things about soccer that like you never knew before in your entire life. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that if for nothing else, the connections that you make there are absolutely massive. Like I was just on the phone with a guy that I ran a course with like Paul Payne, who used to be at Bloomsburg for a long time. Like he, um, he was my advanced national for the NSCAA United soccer coaches now. Um, you know, like Dean Wurzberger, who was my B licensed co- uh, instructor, like he was the head coach at Washington for like a long time. Like 
we we had cake together because we had the same birthday. Like, you know what I mean? Like I would have never known like Dean Werber, like Dean's a man. Um, you know, so I, I'm a big I'm a big fan of the coaching course. And I'm not just saying that because, you know, I, I teach some of the grassroots stuff now, but I think that it's it's such a good way to to meet people, um, to fully engulf yourself in and again, like I've said environment probably seven thousand times on this, but like to put yourself in a really in an environment where like you're about it, you know, like you're, you're talking soccer, like guys are drinking beers. Can I say beer? I can say beers, right? Yeah. Like, like guys are drinking beers afterwards and we're talking about ta- like, you know, like the, you yeah. know, the Bud Light bottle is like the number, you know what I mean? Like and, and <laughs> those are the conversations you have that you get to do like all day long. Like you wake up in the morning, you're talking soccer, you're listening to soccer, you're coaching soccer, you're getting feedback on soccer. Um, I would say to, to anybody that is thinking about, um, you know, coaching or maybe not even thinking about coaching. So the United soccer coaches has this thing 30 under 30, which I was a part of, which was awesome. So basically like you apply for it. Um, you know, they, they pick, I think 15 women, 15 men uh, a year. And basically, you know, that's being recognized as all well and good, but like what it really gives you is it gives you the opportunity to go to convention, which is a, which is a huge networking piece for anybody that's a young coach. Um, and then they also pay for one of your court, like one of your courses. So I took my premier diploma with United soccer. It might've been NSCA. So at that time, um, for free, like I didn't have to, I didn't have to pay to fly. Like I went to Florida for a week. It was awesome. Um, so I think that the value in them isn't the, I mean, listen, you're definitely going to gain some soccer insight. Um, but I think the way that you think about the game, I think the way that you plan training sessions, I think the way that you plan game day operations, I think the way that you, um, you know, I think the new USSF courses have been awesome because I, it's so much more about rapport and communication and connections with, with players. Um, like, so I took my, like my A license is, te- is technically the, the youth one. I didn't take mm-hmm. the, the senior one. Um, but, you know, it's almost like you go into and so like I like my minor was in um, secondary ed at Chestnut Hill. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of the stuff you talk about is like adolescent psychology and, and um, you know, development stages and, and stuff like that. And it's like the way that you speak to kids, right, because like they're they're kids first. Um, the way that you talk to kids is going to be different from the way that you speak to a nine-year-old, the way that you talk to even a 10-year-old, the way that you talk to a 14-year-old, the way that you talk to a 19-year-old, right? right? Like, um, so like those, I think my, my recent A license was so good in that because it, it, it really makes you reflect on like how you, how you build rapport, how you connect with players and then how you're able to convey the message that you're trying to convey, right? Like I just like, maybe Brendan's okay with me just shouting like, Brendan, stop being, stop being shit. Right. And like, and that maybe works for you. Right. But like for Steve, maybe like, yeah, I need to go over Steve and be like, Hey, Steve, like maybe next time, you know, position your body here so that you're away from that player, whatever. Right. Like, and, and I can do the same thing within each, within the same training session. Right. Like I can have those different conversations with, with all those players. So no, listen, I I love the coach. I love the coaching course. I mean, I got people that I still talk to from today that, you know, that I met there, I've, I've made connections from, you know, work relations with, with, uh, people like my instructors, you know what I mean? So it's like, they're, they're awesome. Plus if you, if you get lucky, you get to go to great places like Casa Grande, Arizona, where there is literally nothing, 
So, <laughs> so, um, so no, like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a huge, huge proponent of them for sure. Awesome. Yeah. I think that's the big thing that even for someone who is skeptical about really, you know, really the content of the course or what you're actually going to be learning, as you said, the connections that you're going to make there are, are huge, are big time, you know, especially if you're a young coach who's trying to network and, and, and find roles and find coaching positions. Like that's a great way for you to go and meet people in the area and talk to, you know, talk to other people who work at clubs and say, Hey, are you looking for any coaches or can I come be your assistant? Like a lot of guys and girls uh, that, you know, are very similar to you in that if someone was like, Hey, can I just come and shadow you and, and watch how you coach? And, and maybe then that leads to something else down the road for you to be able to coach. Like that's a great way for you to get your foot in the door with these coaching courses. And, and two, a lot of times it shows clubs or it shows colleges that you have a certain, like you have a certain standard, you have a certain level that you at least know you can show that you know, the concepts that the, the kind of country has set to try and teach our kids and try and coach our kids. So that is, you know, a good thing to have on your resume. Yeah. And I I think, I think college wise, like, I think college wise, it's, it's, it's pretty good. I think it shows that you're willing to do some extra stuff, but I think at the youth level, like it's, 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 I think almost a priority, right? I mean, um, and, and in fairness, it just, it just helps. Honestly, if nothing else, I know people like are like, oh, I'm not gonna. And, and in fairness, like they're, they're kind of expensive. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, they're not cheap. No, I mean, my A license was, I think like five and, and that didn't include like me flying down to Arizona three times. You know what I mean? So, um, that's another aspect of it. And I think from an individual, like, you know, growth standpoint, like if you're going to do it, like, you know, if you're going to do what we do, like you got to be fully invested in it. And, like, that's, that's one of those things. Right. So. Yeah. It just, you know, if we bring the podcast full circle and, you know, kind of tie into what we were talking about at the very beginning, it's just, it comes down to if you are willing to put in the work and some, in this case, it might look different than, you know, working a valet job when you're trying to <laughs> become a coach. In this case, it may mean that, yeah, you got to drop five grand and another grand on flights and uh, hotels and stuff like that to be able to to better yourself and put yourself in a better position to, to impact more kids lives. So just comes down to how bad do you want it? You know? Yeah. And, and I think it's just like anything else, you know? And I, and I think, I think I gave you this piece of advice too, was like, just say yes. You know, if, if nothing else, you say yes to anything, right. Whether that means you're doing U8 Academy on Friday nights or you're doing, yep. you know, rec select on Saturdays or you're, you know, I forget what my, what did mine you call their like really like young kids? What was that? uh oh god i don't even remember i can't remember what it was but uh, yeah that was that was my first yeah so we'll do a quick story down here that was my first ever job that jewel (laughs) in coaching that jules hooked up for me was he was like yeah uh i I didn't even do it with you it was like it was with dave and somebody else actually you know i did it with a couple times um oh why am i forgetting his name what's the harkham guy oh graver yeah graver sorry yeah yeah I, I know him. I don't know why I didn't. Um, I would go to Monu and coach like five-year-olds. And and if anyone gets into coaching, this is probably going to be one of your first oh, days. Absolutely. Regardless of the level or anything that you've done before, like you're going to start at the very bottom. And it was 
Oh man, it was, it was such a crazy experience. And I remember like being there sometimes I'm like, I'm not even coaching soccer. Like I'm just, <laughs> I'm just babysitting kids. You're a baby, you're a babysitter that has soccer balls. Yeah. But I remember, um, a funny part about it was like you said, you said, always just say yes, always say yes. And so I did. And, and, and I never had really talked to anyone about money or you about money or what was going to be. I just was like, this is an opportunity for me to get my foot in the door and, and get something out of it. And hopefully he won't mind me sharing this, but uh, a good buddy of both of ours, Joe Cass always would used to come up to me and be like, well, how much are they paying you? How much, you know, what are they giving you? What are they giving you? And I was like, honestly, dude, like nothing. I'm just, you know, trying to go get the experience and and hopefully it leads to something. And he was like, oh, you're an idiot. What are you doing? Make sure they're paying you. I'm like, Joe, like just relax. Okay. Good things come to those who wait. And then, uh, you know, sure enough, then I was coaching at Monty or coaching the Delco or something. And he texted me one time and he's like, Hey, do you have any help? Like, I'm trying to get into the club coaching game. Like, can you, uh, can you put me in contact with anyone? Like help me. And I'm like, yeah, of course. But I was just thinking, I'm like, maybe if you're a little more patient and not coming <laughs> up to me saying, how much are they paying you? How much are they paying you? Like, <laughs> Oh, Joe Cass, Joe Cass, character. Good guy. Love that guy. Love that guy. Love that family. In fairness, uh, Matt Cass was just Matt Cass was coaching at Delco for a little bit. All right, man. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, dude. Listen, I hope I hope you didn't get me in too much trouble. So that that'll be good. And then, uh, but listen, no. In fairness, like I said, love the show. Um, you know, loved catching up. All good things. Glad we got to talk. Um. So it was, it was awesome, man. It was awesome. I re- really appreciate you having, you know, taking the time and having me on. So. Yeah, of course, man. I uh, definitely had this one circled as a, as an option for one day. So I'm happy that we were able to, to make it happen. And I hope people will, listening and are going to enjoy it as well. And, you know, if you're out there listening, you have any questions, any, uh, any comments on the episode, I'd love to hear it. Make sure to kind of do the rounds, you know, like comment, share all that good stuff get the word out about this one because this is a definitely a good episode and uh yeah just final final uh word is you you can you can play soccer 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 is for everyone guys <laughs> soccer, is, soccer is for everyone soccer is for everyone <laughs> uh all right jules i appreciate you thank you so much and uh talk to you soon all right thanks man